So glad to see you this morning. We're continuing in our study of 1 John. And as we move forward, just want to reiterate, which we always do, what we've already learned. Anytime we're in a class, we begin the new material moving forward, but we never want to do that without going back and picking up some general thoughts from the previous lesson to tie it together and then create a greater continuity in, in our presentation, especially if you were not in the class in the last week or two and you haven't kept up online or whatever. It would be important to do so, but if you're not, at least hopefully this kind of a thing helps you in this. So last week, we learned this. Remember, we, last week we went into chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, which is generally considered, and, and I would agree with that, this is, this is John's introduction now, it's not an introduction which is, where you at? My name is Peter. How are you? I'm, I'm from Lakeview Christian Center. It's good to see you all. Uh, greetings in the Lord and so on. It's not that kind of an introduction. John gets right into the issue at hand in chapter 1. But you remember, he's writing to people who know him and he knows them because he has been their elder pastor for a number of years. And he's writing this letter as a polemic, as a defense against attacks that false doctrine has come and will con- and continues to come into the church to permeate the beliefs of the uh, believers to mess up their theology and so begin to shake in their confidence in Christ, begin to create an issue of how do we fellowship with one another, what is really going on. It just is not good. So last week we learned in chapters 1 through 4 that those verses are the doctrinal foundation for the rest of the letter. So let's keep that in mind. Why did John begin this way? Since he is going to be defending the faith, he must begin with any, where any of us should always begin to defend the faith. And what is? What is it? On the rock of Christ. Correct? On the rock of Christ. So he defends the faith by talking about and affirming two things about Jesus. This man who walked among them. He ate with them. He slept. You know, they slept with them. They walked together. They knew one another. They were together for three years or so. And the teaching was that this man, whose name is Jesus of Nazareth, who claimed to be the son of God in the flesh, he was really not deity, but, you know, he looked like deity. He wasn't, it wasn't deity. They deny the deity. And at the same time, they're doing other things. The other major issue that John is going to deal with here is that not only do they deny the deity of Jesus, but they also deny the existence of sin. Now, that's a whole other subject that I would love to speak about this morning. But the existence of sin is primary to understanding the entire purpose of God in the gospel. Do we see that? The existence and meaning and issue of sin is the absolute central issue that Jesus, the reason he came because of sin. And we'll discuss that a little bit more next week. And so in the first four verses, John sets forth, you remember, the doctrine of the incarnation. 
which also speaks of the plurality of the one being of God. The incarnation means that the man Jesus Christ, this man, this human being who walked and talked and ate with the apostles was in fact the pre-existent son of God who had come into the world in the flesh as God's promised Messiah. And so John is affirming what we all must affirm if we're going to be believers in, 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 in a biblical way. We must have this affirmation of faith and belief if we're going to call ourselves Christians, if we're going to be believers in the biblical way. This man, his dual identity, he is equally and simultaneously The son of God as the son of man. Do we see that? If we do not hold to this, to either side, he's not divine or he wasn't really human. We can't claim to be believers. Because God himself says this is what we must do, correct? So there are folks out there. For instance, Oprah. Oh, no, no, no. I'm a believer. I'm a believer. I'm a believer. She does not believe this. And so when she says she is a believer, doesn't believe it, is she in fact a believer? Yes or no? Now, are we condemning her? No, she condemns herself. We're just taking the words that she says, applying them to the biblical truth of what God himself says, and we... Stand on the side of the testimony of God rather than the testimony of a person. Isn't that what we're doing? Now, they will call that judgmental. We call it standing in the truth. So, why is this important? Because, you see, if underlining, if, if the person of Christ and the work of Christ, his deity and humanity is underlined, it robs the gospel of its power. There is no power in this kind of a gospel. So this morning, let's begin to talk about this issue of fellowship. And you remember, the primary issue that John is dealing with here as a result of this bad or false doctrine coming into the church. I don't know whether he is concerned that the believers are actually going to apostatize and reject the deity of Christ or the humanity of Christ. But what it will do, there are people in the church at this time and those who have already left who are promoting this false doctrine. And the practical, functional issue or difficulty is that their fellowship with one another and their fellowship with God is being disturbed. So John's purpose in this letter is to protect and promote this divine human fellowship. And we won't go into all what that means. We've talked for, I think, a couple of weeks on what all that was about. But you do remember this. The entire purpose of God in creation, creating the heavens and the earth as the context for which he would have a people with whom, in whom, and through whom the fellowship that exists within the person, the uh, being of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
that that divine fellowship would be shared with his people so that they may become partakers of the divine nature. Remember 2 Peter 1.4. So that God's fellowship, this one God and three persons, that the fellowship of these three persons may be visibly demonstrated in the fellowship that is enjoy, enjoyed among the church, among the believers on earth. Correct? That's where the glory of God is. So this morning we're going to begin to get into the first section, which we're calling chapter 1, verse 5, through chapter 2, verse 17. And we're going to talk about the practice of our fellowship with the Father. These are going to be the issues of practice of our fellowship with the Father. The emphasis of this study is going to revolve around the word fellowship. Now remember, as we begin, we made a clear distinction. We must make sure we get the distinction. Now, Edward, where is Edward? Okay, Edward, stand up. Now, what is the basis? What do we call the basis of our unity in God? Relationship. We are related to God through our birth into the kingdom of God by the Holy Spirit. We are called the children of God. Therefore, we are related. Now, do you all have children? Now, where are your children? Right, right. All right, well, let me say it this way. Do you have grandchildren? Okay. You see, this is what I like about grandparents. They sit here and they smile or whatever. But then you say, grandparents, she was coming out of her chair. Did you notice that? <laughs> Man, I am fine. Where are my grandchildren? Now, are they related to you? You love them. Why? Why? Because they're yours. They're yours. You love your grandchildren? <laughs> this is a problem here, right here. <laughs> I don't want to take too long on this. There's so much to talk about. We may have to go into next week. That's just the way it works in this class. This is centrally significant. Here, out there. Why do you love your child or your grandchildren? Why? Because they are yours. That's our relationship in Christ. God loves us because we are his. He loved us before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. In love, he predestined us, remember, to adoption through. Okay, remember that. That is our relationship. That is a settled, done deal, if you would. I don't like to use that word. It is a settled work that the Holy Spirit has birthed us into the Christ and we are built into the rock of ages and in Christ as long as Jesus stands or sits at the right hand of the Father, as long as there is a risen, ruling, and reigning man in the presence of God, we are in that man and we are in him as long as he is with the Father. And how long will he be with the Father? Forever. Is anyone or anything going to remove Jesus from the presence of God the Father? No. We are in him. We are in him by his doing, not by our choice. 
It was God's choice to which we said yes. Therefore, God called us and that move of the Holy Spirit to call us into the kingdom. Our response is called receiving Christ or you may call it calling upon the name of the Lord. But we are calling upon the name of the Lord as we see in John in Romans uh, 8.13. They that call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Why? Because we have first been called. Do we see it? God precipitates. He initiates. Now, once in Christ... Once these are yours, they're yours. Unconditionally. You know, I like you more than I did when you first walked in. I'm starting to like it too. On what? Unconditionally. In other words, when she says unconditionally, she's talking about our part. It's conditioned on being in Christ, which is a settled matter. Therefore, how we live and what we do does not touch our relationship. It touches our fellowship. Does it matter? Oh, yes. Do we see that? Just make sure we're moving forward on this, right? Okay. So in the first chapter, chapter one, verses one, uh, five to 10, John is going to deal with the false doctrine that was disturbing the fellowship of the church. So let's go through the verses here one by one. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Notice this. How does John begin to deal with the doctrine? He doesn't talk about the doctrine or the people or what they think. He begins where we all should begin, continue, and end. The entire discussion, if you would, is anchored in God himself. It is all for God, from God, and about God. Do we see that? So where does he begin? He begins where? With God, right, Charles? He begins with God. He begins where he should begin. He doesn't say, you know, y'all are doing this and that. He doesn't do any of that. He says, here is the truth. God is light. Everything else will be evaluated in relation to that truth of the nature, the character of our God. That has to do with everything in our lives. In the scriptures, light is a familiar metaphor. You've heard of light in the scripture. It has to do with God's intrinsic purity. You know, an intrinsic purity personal purity, that which is in him indigenously as to who he is, his intrinsic purity, his perfection. Light has to do with his complete knowledge and understanding of himself. Therefore, if he completely understands himself, he understands and has knowledge of what? Everything else that he's created because everything has come from him, is about him, and will return to him and for him. Light reveals the ministering presence of God. And you remember in Exodus when the people of Israel were leaving and so on, Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. Remember, you saw the movie. But all the sons of Israel, remember they were living in Goshen, that lower part. They had light. You see, Light is associated with good in contrast to darkness, which is evil, wicked, death, chaos, anti-God. Remember at the cross, Jesus was crucified at what time? 
9 o'clock. At halfway through the crucifixion, it lasted how many hours? Six hours. Halfway through the crucifixion at about noon, what happened? Darkness. Darkness. You see, the accentuation of the evil of sin was beginning to be experienced by the Son of God. So that his soul suffered more than the total accumulation of the soul suffering of every human who has ever lived. The soul suffering of this one man accentuated at noon to three. Remember, my God, my God. His soul suffering for our sin exceeded the totality of all the soul suffering of all humanity for all time. Amen? So there was darkness. God was accentuating my son some kind of way. We don't get it. Some way. Bearing down of the wrath of God upon the Son of God. Light, darkness. We see that there. Remember in Genesis, let there be light. John eight twelve. What does Jesus call himself? I am the light. Second Corinthians four four, remember? For the God of this world has what blinded the minds of the believers, unbelievers that they may not what? That they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So what does verse six say then? Second Corinthians four six. God, who said, Let there be light, has shone in our face with the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Light, light. And so all of this is a proclamation of this one who alone is light. And then in Matthew 5, this light comes into our lives. Therefore, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But in Matthew 5, he then turns it in and he says, what? You are what? Come on, come on. You are the light of the world. Remember, if any man, the bushel, the basket, you know, and all that, and hiding in the storm. Now, having established that God is light in, in verses 6 to 10, in the next several verses in this little part of this section, John is going to shine the light of truth, the light of who God is, the truth of who God is upon the doctrine of these false teachers. Do you see what he's going to do? He's not going to talk about their doctrines or their beliefs at all in relation to anything about themselves or what they like or don't like or what society is doing or not doing or what we should do. Everything is going to be a result of and based in the truth about God himself. Someone asked me not too long ago, do you believe in same-sex marriage? Now, if you're asked that, typically we're going to give an answer. I do, I don't, correct? I don't answer like that. I'm not going to answer like that. It's not about what I believe or what I don't believe. Do we see that, believers? It's about what God says. So I says, I says, I believe 
what God said. Oh, well, well, what does God say? You don't know? Don't grapple with these folks unless you have the word and you're anchored in Christ. Amen? Otherwise, you're going to lose. Anchor it where it belongs. Where is it belong, Jody? In God himself. So don't answer all these questions that way. Answer it, Susan. I believe what God says. Oh, well, what does God say? You don't know? Well, why are you asking me if you don't know? You need to first. You, you, do you understand how you need to go about this? So, verses 6 to 7. He shines a light on the practice. And here we go. Now watch how he does this. Verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship. Hey, I have fellowship with God. I'm in fellowship with God. I'm in fellowship with God. I love God. God loves me. We love one another. We're real tight. Jesus and me, you know. If we say that we have fellowship with him, with God, with Christ. And yet we walk in darkness. Remember light, darkness. We what? Lie. And do not practice the truth. I, I just have to say it. When you look at these men who are given to promote and protect and proclaim the gospel. When something begins to come in, creeping in or galloping in that has anything to do with a lie. They are not squeamish. And they are not quiet. And they are not sensitive, whatever, they're going to call it what it is. Any truth that deviates from God is light is what? A lie. Well, they just don't, un- that's a lie. They don't practice the truth. Do you see this? I'm so thankful that this Bible of ours, this God of ours, doesn't practice what we call grace the way we think grace is practiced. Remember, Jesus is upbraiding all the Pharisees. Remember that? You're this and you're that. And somebody says to him, you know, teacher, don't you understand? You're insulting them. (laughs) The truth always is an insult to the lie. Now, we're not insulting the person. We're insulting the what? Belief. If we say, why does John use the word we? Now, we have to be careful here. There are some who would say, we means John is taking we as the believers. We, the believers in the church. Remember, they're unbelievers and believers in this church. The unbelievers are teaching the lie. The believers are struggling with this. We means we, the believers. Uh, I don't think so. I think what John has done is to take the position of the unbeliever temporarily and is saying, you know, if we believe that whatever... He's taking the position, I think, of the unbelievers at that moment. So he, if he say, if we say, John speaks as if he is one of the false believers who were saying that the way they had, they live had no bearing upon their fellowship with God. Uh, the believers are not saying this. It's the unbelievers that are teaching this. Gordon, you see that? The unbelievers are teaching this. So John is kind of doing a, a, using a, um, a grammatical form here to take that place, to, to set himself within that, that group at that moment. 
He says, we're lie. No practice of truth in us. Again, John speaks as if he is one of them, these unbelievers, who says that such a claim is a lie because they do not practice the truth. What is the claim? Hey, we are in fellowship with God. And John says, say, you're walking in darkness. And he'll explain that later on. Now, what does the word walk mean? Very, very important we get this. The word walk is a Greek word, parapeteo. I think it may be in your notes. Very important. If I'm saying I'm walking, what is that? A continual what? Come on, you can speak. It's okay. It's a continual. Someone said motion. Who said that? Movement. Good. Beth said that. I'm walking. What is that? It's a continual what? Right. It's a continual journey. It's a continual activity. Now watch me. Look at this. I'm walking. Joe, am I walking? So you mean there's a distinction between a step and walk? Oh, you're with me this morning. Wake up. It's important. If we don't get it today, you're going to stumble all over the place when you get through this ladder. Look at me. Is that walking or is that a step? It's a step, isn't it? It's a step. There's a big distinction in John and in the rest of the New Testament between walking and a step. So John says what? If we what? Walk in the darkness. What does that mean? Our way of life is characterized by what? Come on. Sin, darkness, disobedience. Did he say that if I commit a sin or take a step of sin or even a couple of steps of sin? And, but, you know, and I'm, did he say that that is a lie that we have fellowship with God? He's making a distinction between your way of life as an unbeliever walking in darkness and he will get to those issues of steps or stumbling or activities that don't characterize our lives, but those things that are in our lives, correct? Do we see that? There's going to be a big distinction. And if we don't get the distinction early on, we're going to fumble and bumble around in here. And we're going to begin to think, maybe I have not, maybe I wasn't saved. Maybe I've, if you would, lost my salvation, whatever the terms might be. So right away, in the beginning of the letter, let's make sure we get parapeteo has to do with our way of life. It means that this is who you are as a human being. Your life is characterized by sin, disobedience, and darkness. Now, how many of us in here call ourselves believers? Now, how many of us in here can say that I have stepped Maybe several steps in darkness. How many of us can say my life is characterized by darkness? You see the difference. And if we don't get it now, when John begins to make this distinction and talk about what's happening, we're going to think we don't have any confidence. We're going to begin to lose our confidence, our relationship. He's talking about our fellowship. As believers, if our life is characterized by darkness, which is what he says here, we can't say we're believers. We're not in fellowship with God. We're lying about it. The truth is not in us. 
Why? Because we're not practicing. We're not walking in light. We're walking in darkness. Because their life was characterized by walking in darkness, their claim to have fellowship with God was a lie. Now, at this point in verse 7, John is ready to correct the doctrine. So, if you see, if we say that we have fellowship and we're walking in darkness, we're lying. But look at verse 7. But, 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 do you see the word? This, remember the coordinate conjunction, and or no, but for yet? It reverses it. But, I'm going to the right, but I'm going to the right. I'm going to the right, but what? I'm going now what? To the left. Somebody the other day asked me to raise my hand. I was doing something, and I said, he, she said, right hand. I said, which hand is that? You know, in New Orleans, you have to make sure we understand right and left. The other right. So, verse 6, hey, I have fellowship with God. I'm walking in the dark, but it's okay. I said, oh, it's okay. No, it's a lie. So here he corrects it. But if we walk in the light, do you see? He didn't say if we say we're walking in the light, but if what? We actually walk in the light. It's these little words that are so significant. Get the words and the meanings precise. He didn't say if we say we're walking in light, Rose. What did he say? If we walk in the light. What does that mean? The light of the gospel. The light of Christ, the light of God in the truth. If we walk in the light, he himself, what, is in the light. Why is he in the light? Because he is light. We're walking in Christ. Therefore, when we are walking in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all what? Sin. If we walk in the light. If we walk in the light and he's going to give us a litmus test of whether or not we can determine or evaluate our own walk. He's going to give us a few tests in this letter to say, okay, so one of the things in first John we're going to really be helped by is the Holy Spirit is going to give us a few tests to determine whether or not you're actually saved because you cannot save. I'm saved because why? Because I received Jesus. That doesn't mean you're saved. Does it? There are more concrete reasons that is a good place, but it doesn't prove that you're saved. There are other issues involved in knowing that you're saved more than just saying, I received Jesus. That is the initial step. But when you received Jesus, was that the work of the Holy Spirit bringing you in, or was that just your decision to do that on your own, which is impossible to receive Jesus that way? I'm sorry. So John is speaking as now a believer. You see, he, if I'm an unbeliever, I'm saying this, I'm lying. But then he says here, but if we walk in, he's moved over to the believer side. Do we see what he's doing here? Do we understand that? John is speaking as a believer. A believer's life is characterized walking in the light, which testifies about two truths. It testifies that we have fellowship with one another. It didn't say we're going to have fellowship with one another. What does it say? In the gospel of John, I'm sorry, in the letter of John, and all of them, but really John gets down to it. We have to be very careful about the verbs and their tenses. Very careful. You should have listened to your grammar teacher. <laughs> Some of you know I used to teach English. You should have listened 
That's a test he should have made sure he listened to. So, truth, truth. We have fellowship with one another. Secondly, the blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. When he uses the word cleanses, he's using the, the present tense, keeps on cleansing. Now, go back now. He continues with the same theme. If we say, remember, if we say we have fellowship, walk in darkness, what? We're lying. But if we walk in the light, we have fellowship. Do we see that? Then verse 8. If we say we have no sin, he's now dealing, you know, if we say we have no sin, there is no sin. I don't believe in sin. I don't believe God punishes sin. I think it's all just human. Okay. If we say there's no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say. When unbelievers say they believe in sin, they don't believe in sin biblically. They believe in sin culturally. Come on, church, get it right. Get it right. We must think better. When an unbeliever tells you they believe in sin, they don't believe in sin biblically. Why? Only the Holy Spirit can give that revelation to us when he births us into the kingdom of God. Sin has to do with wrath of God and dishonoring God and repudiating and disobeying God. The world does not believe that when they use the word sin, because if they did, God gives it to them as preparatory to them receiving Christ. Are you with me today? So don't put up with this nonsense from the world. So someone says, you know, yeah, I know I believe in sin. No, you don't. Well, I do, but I know you don't. Well, why do you say I don't? Ah, I'm glad you asked that. You have to keep picking on them biblically. Do you see that? The world doesn't believe in sin biblically. You notice I said biblically. That's an adverb. It talks about how they believe. Remember verbs and adverbs and L-Ys and all that. John, again, continues to speak as an unbeliever who denies the existence of sin. We're deceiving ourselves. Why? Because the Bible says, Romans 3.23, in one place, all have what, sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God's declaration to humanity is all are under sin. We see that in Romans 3.19, I think it's verse 19. All under sin. And so when someone says, I don't believe in sin and whatever, they cannot have fellowship with God. And they're not saved. Because the only way to be saved, as we'll see in the next verse, is to repent of sin. As a result, a person can't be saved. So John 9 tells them what they should do. What should we do? You know, what should you do? Well, you need to start believing in sin, brother. No, no. Look at verse 9. If we confess our sin, I don't have this in your notes, but the word confess is homologeo. H-O-M-O-L-O-G-E-A-O. It means to homo means same. Logos means what? To speak a word. Remember, to say the same thing as or to be in agreement with. That's what confess means. It's homologeo. It means just to agree with. Didn't, you didn't eat your dinner. You're right, mama. That's confessing it. No, I ate it. You're lying. 
if we confess our sin. So what do you do if, if you get a person who doesn't believe in sin? You need to tell them. Confess your sin. But they can't confess until the Holy Spirit. But at least you need to make a statement. If we confess our sin, he, God, is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from what? All what? Unrighteousness. Uh, circle the word all. How much of our unrighteousness? All. If we confess our sin, if they agree with God that they have sinned, they're not agreeing. They have to agree. Do we see that? That is a basis for being saved. The Holy Spirit is sent into the world. When he comes, the Spirit will what? Convict the world of what? The first thing is what? Sin. Righteousness and judgment. Remember, but sin, the first thing. Only agreeing with the convicting power of the Holy Spirit can a person repent of sin and receive Jesus Christ as Savior. Are we there, church? Do we understand this? Are you with me this morning? Is, now, let me ask you this question. This is very important because this verse is used usually another way. Is John saying that we must repent every time the Spirit convicts in order to be kept saved? Well, it says here, John is speaking to unbelievers about their denial of sin. He's not speaking to believers who are having some difficulty with sinning. If we say there is no sin, what's the remedy? If we what? Confess that we're sinners. Do you see it? So what he is not teaching here is this. If you sin, which is a teaching of a whole lot of folks. If you sin and you don't repent of that sin and you die, you're going to hell. It's not the truth. Repentance is a turning away from sin and the life of sin as we are receiving Christ. Repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus in Acts. That happens when we're saved. We repented of our sin and we turned to Jesus, correct? We then will be, we're cleansed of all our unrighteousness. That's repentance in that context. In the Christian context, repentance is God's gift to us, enabling us to turn away from our individual sins. Is it? There it goes, the old mind. I think of 2 Timothy 2.25, that God may grant them repentance. John's instruction in verse 9 has to do with the birth of a believer into the kingdom. It is not a verse that tells you how to be kept saved. Can you say amen? amen. How we kept saved. We kept saved in Hebrews 9. I think it may be verse 10, but I may be wrong there. We kept saved by the enduring life of the risen son of man at the right hand of God the Father. We're kept saved by his enduring life. I'm kept in him. Right? By his power. I live in him now. As the Holy Spirit convicts me of sin. And I say, Father, you're right. Holy Spirit, give me the gift of repentance. To change my mind about this thought pattern. These feelings. These attitudes. Amen? That's how we're kept 
vibrant and maturing in Christ and in fellowship. In the rest of the letter, John is going to deal with our life of fellowship as members of his kingdom. So he concludes with his final comment in verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, one more time, let me make sure you get it. If we say we have not sinned, what we make God to be a liar and his word is not in us. Amen. You see how emphatic these people are. So next week we'll get into chapter 2, which turns the corner. <clears throat> John has been speaking to unbelievers in verses, actually from the very beginning too, to the whole church in the first four verses to set the stage. But then verses 5 to 7, he's speaking 5 to 10 specifically to unbelievers. Now he's going to turn the corner in chapter 2 and going to begin to speak for the rest of the matter, to the church in general. There will be comments to others, but his audience now will be the church. Amen? So we'll do that next week. Thank you for being here.